You know, I've always admired, like, inspiring leadership. Uh, we see it, and we're kind of reminded of it in different places. Uh, maybe on Mount Rushmore, where we've got, uh, of course, can you name the four? Washington, Roosevelt, good old Teddy Rose, and uh, Lincoln and Jefferson. And then more close to home, we have uh, Mount Rush Hour. Uh, that's <laughs> I-10. That is the actual name, Mount Rush Hour, they call it. I-10 and 40. Have you ever seen those statues before? You're driving by and you're like, I think that was a, that was a big-headed president right beside me in lots of traffic. Uh, and so can you name those four? You got Stephen F. Austin and you've got... Uh, Sam Houston and Abraham Lincoln and, and George Washington. Uh, there's, other, there's been other inspiring leaders through our history, like uh, love Martin Luther King Jr. and also Mother Teresa was an inspiring leader. Uh, also uh, great leaders like James Tiberius Kirk. Uh, he was a good looking dude back in the day. Uh, he's like looking us right in the eye now. Yeah. And uh, I, I personally like uh, King Aragorn uh, from uh, Lord of the Rings. Very inspiring. Maybe sports leaders like, like Pat Summit from the University of Tennessee or Coach K from Duke. All right. <laughs> All right. There you go. There was two claps for Coach, for Coach K there. Who is your favorite leader? Who is your favorite, maybe inspiring leader of, of your time that you go, man, I just I get pumped up when I hear this person or see this person or things they've done. Take a second, share that maybe with the person beside you, your neighbor, your favorite leader. Favorite leader said some things that really inspired you. All right, let me bring you back in, bring you back in. So the question I've been wrestling as I've thought about great leaders is, are leaders, this is kind of a classic question, are leaders born or are they made? Are they born or made? Maybe you want to wrestle with that a little bit, but are they born or are they made? How many think are, there is an actual answer, I believe, to this. How many think they're born? How many think they're made? Man, you guys are there. We're, we're together today. I read around uh, this research machine called the internet and uh, from Forbes magazine to psychology uh, research, they all kind of say the same, that most people, most leaders, they're, all, they're made. Now we've all given certain amount of talents and gifts and maybe some kind of push that direction, but great leaders are actually made. Now I think there's something inside of us that says, you know what, you either got it or you don't. But that's not reality, and it's certainly not the reality of the kingdom of God. And as we look around right, our country, we look around the world right now, I think we all can agree there's a major shortage of leadership right now. Not just in, in politics, it seems to be the obvious thing right now, but in our communities and families. And God has called us to be leaders. God has called you to be leaders each one of us. And that's what this series really is all about. Nehemiah, there's been some great books on leadership, a ton of books on leadership. If you go to the airport today, you can find one uh, in any bookstore there. But Nehemiah, I think, was the first like, book that was built around leadership and foundations of, of what leadership actually looks like. So if you would, if you have a Bible with you, if you have it on your phone or in hand today, Grab your Bible. Maybe you need to go to the table of context and uh, contents, and you go and you find Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament, the left side of the Bible. If you go to Psalms and go back a little bit, you can find it there, and you're scrolling that direction. Now, as you're going there, I'm going to tell you that uh, 
Just to give you a little historical background on Nehemiah. Nehemiah uh, was written in a specific time in Israel's history. And, and I think it's really important sometimes to know the, the context of the Bible and the situations you're in. If you don't know the context, then you miss a lot of the story. And that's certainly true for, for Nehemiah. So we've got to go back a little bit. Israel's history. We know about Israel. They were in this place called Egypt. In Egypt, they were oppressive. And they were slaves in, in Egypt. And what happened? God came and he rescued them out. He he used a man uh, named Moses to rescue them out of Egypt, and they went through the Red Sea. They went 40 years in the desert because they didn't really obey God in the beginning, but they followed God, and they got into this place called the Promised Land. And in the Promised Land, it was an amazing place. God's fruit and, and, and just this place where it's full of milk and honey, the Bible describes it, and just where God and his people could be together again. And that's God's desire from the beginning, that he would have a people we would be his people, and he would be our God. Now, one day, the people of Israel, they said, you know what? We want a king. Everybody else has got a king, Daddy. We want a king, too. And so they wanted a king really bad. They looked around the, the countries of the world. They've got kings. And God said this, hey, I'm your king. You don't need a king. Kings are bad. They tax you a lot, and uh, then eventually they're going to come after your kids to serve in their armies. You don't need a king. I'm your king. But they kept asking for a king and keep, kept begging for a king. And finally, God says, if that's what you want, I'm going to give you what you want. And this guy named Saul comes in. He's the first king. Remember Saul? And then another king came about. His name was David. He was a great king. But then his son came along, Solomon, and he started off well, but things kind of fell apart in the end because he started to serve other gods. And, and God continued to work and, 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 and weave its way through Israel's history, but, but Israel constantly forgot who God was and constantly went toward other gods and, and went away from the Lord. And when that happened, bad things started to happen for them. When they, they turned their back on God, Eventually, there was this civil war. There was a civil war in Israel, and they was divided up. There were 12 tribes of Israel, 10 up in the northern kingdom, and then there's two in the southern kingdom. You didn't know you were going to get this kind of history today, did you? So there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, the, the capital was Samaria, and in the southern kingdom, the capital is Jerusalem. And so there's this natural tension you hear throughout the Bible between Samaria and, and Jerusalem that's, that's present there. And they kept turning to other things and turning their way away from God and, and to, to evil things and back and forth. And God finally said, if that's what you want, if you want to serve other little G gods, if you want to continue to run off after things of this world, you can have it. And he allowed the, 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 the nation of Israel to be captured to be captured first in the, the northern kingdom by this group uh, that is called uh, Assyria. And the Assyrians came in and they took over that area and they pulled the people out of that whole region in what's called uh, captivity or exile. So they pull them way away from their homeland and this, this land that God gave to them, this relationship that God gave to them, pulled them away. Then years later, the southern kingdom fell. This group of this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar, and it's kind of like you need to 
to, to insert the, the Dark Vader uh, music here. Boom, 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 boom. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he destroys Jerusalem, the capital. He destroys the temple they worked so hard to build. He destroys the walls of Jerusalem and it is just chaos. And he begins to take the children of Israel away, back all the way to, to Babylon. 800 miles away from the promised land. And it feels like they're back to the beginning, back almost to when they were in Egypt in captivity there. And that's where our story begins. Babylon, actually, they fall to this place called, uh, called uh, Persia. They're taken over by the Persians and this, this king from Persia. And so now the people are being controlled by the Persian empire. Now, the greatest fear of the people the greatest people, the fear while they're in exile, and this is super important for the story, is as they're getting pulled away from the promised land, as they're getting pulled away from this place that God has given them, everyone is afraid that something's going to happen, that our children are going to one day when God comes back and says, you know what, I'm going to allow you to go back to the promised land, that the children of Israel are not going to want to go. We're not going to want to go back. Why? Well, when they went to this exile, when they went to Babylon, they would hold services. They would, let's remember God. Let's remember what he's done for us. Let's remember the Red Sea. Let's remember everything. And they would get together and they would maybe in a gathering like this and they would sing and say, let's remember, let's remember. But eventually, after a while, the people began to look around and say, this Babylon, it's not so bad. They got good food here. They've got cool places to go. This is kind of a nice place to stay. And so sort of like if you've ever seen uh, the movie Shawshank Redemption, when Red actually gets delivered and, and, and released from jail, he doesn't want to leave jail. He wants to stay there. And so that's the fear is that one day we're going to have a chance to go back and nobody's going to want to go back. They're going to want to stay. And, and, and there's a phrase that I love that Scott Daniels uh, says, and I think it's, a, it's great for us to hear today. There's a big difference between the people of God who just happen to live in Babylon, in captivity and exile, and being Babylonians who, just, who happen to worship God. Now, maybe you've done a Daniel study with Beth Moore, and you've done some things uh, talking about and thinking about captivity and exile. She makes a very powerful uh, metaphor there for us, and I think we need to hear this today. If we just take out the word Babylon and Babylonians, and we put the United States or America, it, it, it kind of sticks to us a little bit more. There's a big difference between being the people of God who live in the United States, we just happen to live in the United States, versus Americans who just happen to come to church every now and then. Are you with me? That we would live in a culture that it suddenly becomes, this is who, we're not the people of God anymore, we're just Americans who just happen to come to church every now. Have you heard verses like this? You're, you're called to be aliens in this world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And our citizenship is not of this land, but it's in another place. Are you with me? You're tracking with me, okay? Shake your head if you, if you are, okay? So that's what's happening in Babylon and exile and captivity there. So Nehemiah, we, we get Nehemiah now, okay? So Nehemiah chapter one, and uh, just right off the bats, you just need to know this, Nehemiah was a cup bearer for the king. And so he was... 
He didn't really have a, a great name back in the day. It wasn't like Nehemiah, son of such and such and such and such and such and such. Have you ever read that before in, in the Bible? It was just Nehemiah, okay? Just one word, Nehemiah. He didn't have a lineage or wasn't known for, for a whole bunch in the past, but he was the cup bearer. Now, does anybody watch the show Downtown Abbey? Uh, do you watch that show? Or Downton, whatever. Uh, there's a head butler on, on Downtown Abbey, uh, and his name is... Mr. Carson, thank you. Now, think of the, the cup bearer. He just wasn't the person that's like, I'm just going to hold the cup all the time, okay? It meant more than that. First of all, the cup bearer has to drink what's in the cup before the king. Why? What if there's something bad in the cup, okay? Not like a bug, but like uh, someone decided to, to kind of kill the king. And so he would be the first person to taste that. He was also always in the king's ear. He had the company of the king all the time. This was a very respected position. He had worked his way up into this position. He had the company in the ear of the king. And so that's the, the context as we jump into this series in this, this passage. It says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hak. Aliyah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, that's a great name, Hanani, uh, if you need a name for your boy, Hanani is there, uh, one of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. So there were some men that went to Judah, back home. They went back to the 800 miles to visit the homeland, to go back, because people were starting to be allowed to go back home. They were allowed to go back and start to rebuild because the king was a favorable king at the time. So he was slowly allowing the Jews to go back. And so they arrived, and, and, and as they arrived from Judah, I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. Another word in another version is they are in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. So they go back and the walls are just destroyed. There is just there are blocks everywhere and just completely crushed around the city. Now, this is so important. We don't have walls anymore, but there were walls, fortified walls around cities. And it meant everything to a city to have that wall. It was protection. It was safety. It was also pride that you would have these walls around. And if that wasn't present, then anyone could come in and, and plunder and steal and kill and destroy. And so there was just the shame amongst the people. Our walls are broken and it was certainly a metaphor of what was happening in the lives of the people that were there. Have you ever, or are, are you experiencing any today as you look around this world, any brokenness at all? It was hard to, to miss as you came in today, the brokenness that, that we tried to, to create. But there is brokenness everywhere. We're seeing it, you see it on the news every day. You see it in, and we see it in families. We see it in hearts Sometimes you can maybe even see it in the eyes of the people that you work with, the people that you love and care for. Brokenness is all around us. So, so what breaks your heart? What is breaking your heart today as you come into this place? I think that's an important question because God wants to lead us 
through brokenness. As brokenness uh, comes into your heart and your life, that I think is a, a director for each one of us. Where brokenness is, is maybe God's call in your life. And what's our response to that brokenness? You know, some of us, just like as we, we kind of came in this morning, maybe it's just to kind of walk around it <laughs> or step over it or try to just ignore it. Or maybe do things to kind of numb us from the brokenness in our own lives. But what's our response to brokenness? And Nehemiah's response, it's, it's kind of a familiar one. Because he just begins to break down and weep. We're not talking about a, you know, a single tear that we tried to fight this morning for graduation. We're talking about major crying. In fact, if you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus does this a couple of times. He comes into the city and he looks around as he looks around the city of Jerusalem. Again, it's kind of a foreshadowing. And he sees the people and his heart breaks. And he says, these people, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're without sheep without a leader to lead them. If only they knew the peace. If only I, they knew the peace that I could give. This is Jesus' words. And so here is Nehemiah. He's saying the same thing. I'm just broken for what I'm, this news that I'm hearing. And his heart was broken. So, so what do you do? What's the response to that? As we look at this series, we're going to be looking at some leadership qualities. And there's a book called, that's a, written for executives by a guy named Peter Drucker. And, and he has a great quote from this book. And he says this, effective executives, effective leaders do first things first. And they do one thing at a time. So essentially, this is about priorities. They do first things first, and then they do other things one thing at a time. Okay? And so that's kind of the lesson here. So what's the first thing that Nehemiah does? Does he try to make a plan? Does he try to go into action? Does he try to recruit people? Does he try to, like, strategize? No. What does he do? He prays. He, he prays. That's the first, the first part of the plan is he puts God first. He begins to pray there. And I wonder, I wonder if he learned, who he learned that from. Was it from the people that surrounded him? People like Daniel that had gone before him. You remember the story of Daniel, right? Daniel in the lion's den. Why did he go to that lion's den? He wouldn't stop praying. He wouldn't stop connecting with God on a daily basis. Or maybe it was Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego, who had gone before Nehemiah. What was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story? They didn't bow down to the culture around them, but instead stood firm in the midst of immense pressure. Maybe he learned it from them, but either way, Nehemiah hit his knees and began to pray. Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of those about me seemed insufficient for the day. Do you ever feel that way? Just feel like my own answers are insufficient. Now, here's just another lesson for great leaders. And maybe you can, might want to write some of these things down. It's okay. Great leaders are not self-sufficient. They're not self-satisfied. And they are not self-righteous. Great leaders recognize their need for God. If you're going to be a great leader in this world, and you're going to be used by God, you need to recognize your need for God. And that starts in prayer. In fact, this whole book is just saturated with prayer. There's 10 different prayers. The longest prayer in Scripture is recorded in Nehemiah. And this is the prayer that he prays that day. When I heard this, when I heard the news about the, the walls, I sat down and I wept. And in fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, 
O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. It's kind of fun to see the word awesome in scripture. The great and awesome God. He keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned deep, terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. Exile, captivity. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you're exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. So he prays. Now, I don't know if prayer is a regular part of your routine in life, if you connect with God on a regular basis, but he kind of gives us an outline. I don't know if you've ever seen the acrostic before, Acts before, A-C-T-S. It's a great kind of guide to your prayer life. And if prayer isn't a regular habit that you've downloaded, here's a great little guide for you. The first, A-C-T-S-A, is for adoration. Adoration, it's praise. He starts off by saying, oh, Lord, God of heaven, you are great and you are awesome. Now, what is he doing here? He just begins to praise God. The things are just flowing out of his heart. He's thinking about, and he was remembering who God is and what he has done for us. Now, just a suggestion, a thought, as a reminder, oftentimes, sometimes our prayers, and I'm guilty of this, is I go straight to the end part of, God, here's what I need. Here's what I want. It's like a drive through fast food window. It's like, God, can I get... And, and you're like just giving request after request, and, and this is what's happening, God. And you know about the, the brokenness and this, and we need this, this, and this. He doesn't go there. It's not a fast food window with God. There's this relationship that he desires more than anything. And so there's this adoration where we begin to kind of get in the presence of God by remembering God and remember what he's, what he's done. My favorite, one of my favorite shows, a uh, creative show on TV right now is a Jimmy Fallon show. At night, it comes on. I love the skits and the funny things with the singing and all kinds of stuff. Does anybody watch the Jimmy Fallon show? Yeah, there's some, there's some creative stuff that's on there. Uh, there pair that with my, my favorite uh, band, uh, probably kind of secular band in the world, U2. Uh, big U2 fan. Uh, they kind of got together uh, about a year ago, and they said, you know what, let's dress up, you two and us, and we're going to go down to the New York subway and see what happens. So here's a video from that. There you go. Amazing. You two, uh, you can't get a U2 concert ticket coming. It, it, you, know, you have to plan it in advance as soon as they hit the, the market. And they're right there in the subway. People are passing them by. Is it possible that we have a great and awesome God? that we just pass by every single day. What happens when we get into the presence of God and we recognize who we're with and who you're talking to, the whole atmosphere changes. And don't miss the irony of the first song they were singing. I still haven't found what I'm looking for as I walk by. 
God wants a, an audience with you, not just once a week, not just once every now and then. He wants it all the time. And when that happens, our hearts begin to meld together. The heart of God and our heart comes together. And what happens from there? The sea, the confession. He begins to just spurt out this confession. I've sinned. My family sinned. My people have sinned. I live amongst a, a group of sinners. How does brokenness happen in the world? The re, it's the result of sin. Broken families is all about sin. Abuse, it's because of sin. Hurt in people's lives and hearts, it's because of sin. It was our choice, our decision to, to turn away from God, and that's what causes the brokenness that's all around us. So he begins to confess, God, and it's not just my sin that's caused brokenness, because some of you experience the pain and the suffering that have been choices of other people. Other people in your life have sinned and caused hurt in your life, and that's why he's confessing for everyone, he just has this moment of confession. And then so just a mark of a good leader is just the understanding and remembrance of this, that you are susceptible to sin. You have to always be on your guard and don't let that guard down. And that key word is humility. And he moves his prayer to thanksgiving. And he just remembers this thanksgiving moment of remembering who you are, God. Remember that you said if you're faithful, if we're faithful, that you will be faithful to us. And God has always been faithful. And if, but we're unfaithful. We, we've been in exile now. But you said that if we would come back to you, you would honor that and you would meet us there. You would meet us in the middle. And, and that's the, this, this Thanksgiving moment. And, and somewhere in this Thanksgiving time and somewhere in this time of, of adoration and, and going to God in confession, the, their hearts begin to mend and there's something that happens inside of Nehemiah. There's this great philosopher. Uh, his name uh, is Popeye, the sailor man, uh, 20th century philosopher. And he had this great phrase, it's this, this is all that I can stand and I can't stand no more. So what does that mean, uh, kids that have no idea who Popeye is? Uh, there were just moments that he would just get so worked up. It's like, I've got to do something about this. And that's what happens for Nehemiah. He's like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take the brokenness anymore in this world. I have to do something about it. Not them or him or her. Somebody's got to do something. It's, it's me. And that's what happens in prayer. Prayer isn't about getting God on board with my plan and my agenda. It's about getting aligned to his. Prayer begins to, to, to mold us and put us on to mission, which leads us to the, the last thing, which is the S, is supplication. That's when you get to the request part. As God has kind of put him on mission, he began to think about how is this going to happen. Lord, be with the king. Help to ease the king's ears and mind so that when I come to him in this moment of request, and that's going to come up in the next chapter, Lord, make his response be favorable to me. So he begins this process of, of asking for, for, for things that are there. Now, there's this last verse. It's a, it's a strange verse that you would say, why would they put that at the very end? Have you ever wondered that sometimes? With, with Why is that verse there of all places? In chapter 1, it has this very simple verse. It says this. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer, period, end of chapter. Now, what an odd thing to put at the very end of a chapter. Why would he put that? It's almost like he's thinking and processing, and there's a choice that's there. I was the king's cupbearer as I'm thinking about going back and rebuilding these walls. What does that mean? I was a kid of Israel in exile, and I worked my way up in this Babylonian place, and I have a position now of honor where I am, I must, I am right there with the king, the king, and now I have a choice. 
do I put that cup down and do I go on into mission, the, God, the mission that God's called me to, or do I keep just living in captivity in Babylon? There's a, a guy named John Ortberg, and he writes a book. Uh, it's a leadership book. It's a great book. Uh, it's called Overcoming Your Shadow Mission. And uh, he tells a story about that. There's this phrase, shadow mission. I'd never heard of it before. Maybe you have. But he writes about it. He's an amazingly gifted writer. And maybe you've read some of his books. So I'm going to read just some of the things that the insert from his book. He said, a few years ago, a friend talked me into going on one of those discover the wild inner hairy warrior within you men's weekends. It's like a lot of grunting that's happening there. You know, it was held at a remote and and primitive quasi-military campground. I could tell you where it is, but then I'd have to kill you. That kind of place. We arrived in darkness, silent men with flashlights who had watched Apocalypse Now once too often led us wordlessly to a processing room. Our duffel bags were searched in all prohibited items like snacks and reading materials and signal flares to outside help were confiscated. We were assigned numbers that were to be used instead of our names to identify us through, the most, uh, through most of the weekend. We chanted like men. We marched unclad through the snow, and for two days we ate bark and berries. We were sleep-deprived. De- we howled at the moon. We sat on our haunches in a Chippewa warrior teepee sauna, purifying our souls and the glandular, glandular fellowship of sweat. Glandular Fellowship of sweat. That's intense there. 30 men evaporating in space. No more than six sane Chippewa warriors would have tried to, to crowd into. But strangely enough, in the middle of the psychobabble and the melodrama that came moments, uh, there came moments of, of memorable insight. And one of the topics we covered at this retreat was how we were created for a mission. Now, when I heard mission, I was, he says, that's familiar territory to me. Then one, then one speaker said something that struck me. He said, if we don't embrace our true mission, if we don't embrace our true mission, we will be by default pursue what is called a shadow mission. A shadow mission are patterns of thoughts and action based on temptations and our own selfishness that try to lead us to betray our deepest values. They're trying to pull us away. And the result of that, two familiar words, regrets and guilt or shame. And he said this, the leader got up and he said, hey, I want to tell you what my shadow mission is. My shadow mission is to watch TV, waste time, and just watch as the world goes to hell. And there were snickers in the camp of guys. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to repeat it. Don't laugh, listen. This is what my shadow mission is. This is my alternative mission in the world, he said, my shadow mission is to just watch TV, waste time, and watch as the world goes to hell. Shadow missions that try to pull us away from the mission that God has called us in the world. They were silent. Each of us was thinking the same thing. How easily any one of us could slide into such a self-centered, trivial pursuit. This guy wasn't tempted to be Adolf Hitler. He wasn't tempted to be Saddam Hussein. He would have fought against that kind of evil, but it was the, the, the banality, the dullness of his shadow mission that made it so possible. 
I had never heard that phrase before. I had never named my shadow mission and what it might be, but I understood. I knew exactly what he was talking about. We were all created for a mission. You were created to be leaders in this world. You were created to be leaders in this world, but there is a shadow mission that is constantly pulling you. Now, your shadow mission not, not, not sound like the leader of that retreat. It might sound a little different, and he actually names a top 10 shadow missions, and maybe you can identify with one of these, or maybe it's 90 others that we can name. Here are the top 10. Just give me home, health, and a hefty 401k. Busy, busy, busy. That's me. I don't care who is in charge as long as it's me. Show me the money. It's all about me. These are things that are going to pull at you. They're going to constantly pull at you. Maintaining hidden addictions. I'll think about it tomorrow. I'll think about that tomorrow. Looking nice by avoiding conflict. Climb the ladder first, but put people second. Shop till you drop, baby. All shadow missions that pull at us. He says this, I identified my shadow mission. John Ortberg says this. I was, he was good at speech, and he would enter speech contests. And he won a speech contest one day. And the headline in the newspaper, they, they put the, the headline there, and it, said, it says this, talkative boy wins acclaim. Talkative boy wins acclaim. That was a headline. And he said, that's my shadow mission. I know that I could use my gifts and abilities for my own credits and for my own light to be shine, shined on me. And that was a shadow mission that pulls. There's a shadow mission for each one of us, but it's not the true mission. It's not who God has called you to be in this world. That's not who God has called us to be in this world. Eddie gave you uh, some awesome gifts. Pretty funny and actually pretty resourceful. I wish that I could give you a compass, each one of you. And not just a, a compass like this that, you know, will tell north, south, and east, and west. And those are handy, although most of the time I, I don't know how to use them. Uh, I wish that I could give you a compass, the Holy Spirit, that you would constantly be pointing toward the mission of God in your life. Because he's called each one of you. He's gifted each one of you. He's gifted each one of you. He's made you for a purpose and a mission. I wish that compass could tell you when you're off a little bit and you're maybe a couple degrees towards your shadow mission that's pulling you or a culture that constantly is trying to pull you away from God and voices that are trying to tell you this way is better. I wish I could. But God has given you that. He's given it to you through prayer where you can connect to the God that created you, that you can remember every day that he loves you. He loves you beyond anything that I can express in words. And I wish that you could get a glimpse of how much he loved you, that he's made you for that reason. And the choice is all of us, ours, who we're going to follow, the voice of God in the midst of exile. And what are you going to do? Are you going to step over brokenness? Are you going to try to ignore it? Or are you going to do something about it? Nehemiah decided that day that he was going to do something. He was tired. That he was going to go back home. And he was going to help rebuild some walls. And that's our call as a church. To restore brokenness in this world. 
restore brokenness. So this morning, I'm gonna invite our seniors to come up and uh, there's gonna be some spots. uh, We've talked about some places around these altars and I invite you, if you know these kids and you've invested in these kids to come around them, to pray for these kids, this is in no way a goodbye, okay? But what we wanna do today is, just like for many of you about here, or maybe it was around here a few years ago, many of you went from your, the hands of your parents to a, the hands of a pastor. And we said that day, just like we say today, that you are a gift from God. And we're grateful for this accomplishment in your life, this, this milestone moment, and we are excited about what the future holds that's there. Maybe today, as, as people are coming and getting ready to pray there, maybe you would recognize the brokenness in your own heart today, in your own life. And maybe you just need to take some time right there at your seats, or maybe you want to go around other places around this, this, this sanctuary and say, God, set my heart Set my heart on your mission. God, I have been way too far off on shadow missions and I want my heart to be centered on you. Heal the brokenness in my life and my heart and my family and the people around me. Use me, God. Use me just like you used Nehemiah. Would you pray with me? God, if we lift up, Lord, your people today, God, I am so grateful for the names and the faces and the of graduates that are flooding through my mind right now. I think about memories. God, I think about moments in their spiritual journey at places like camp and on Wednesday nights and in missions trips and in in homes and life groups in different places where you have helped them to grow through Sunday school teachers, through VBS teachers, through youth staff, through various people, God. We thank you for the way that you've worked in their heart and their life, God. And we know that you are not done yet. God, I pray that you will... God, go with them wherever they may go. Lord, if it's next year staying in town, and that's great. Lord, I pray that you would bless and use, Lord, in in those spaces and places and classrooms. God, if it's to far off places, Lord, Lord, we know that you are going to go with them, Lord. I pray that you would help, Lord, in, in various cultures and places, Lord, for them to remember your greatness. Lord, to set habits early. To, to spend time in your presence. Lord, not just in sanctuaries, but in sanctuaries in cars and on, beside beds and just in your presence as we pray and we, we talk with you and we have relationship with you. God, I pray that today, God, that you would guide and direct, Lord, into the future. Lord, one decision at a time, one at a time as we put first things first and go one at a time along the way. God, help us to put you first in all that we do. God, I pray that you would be with families, that they are celebrating this week, Lord. They are celebrating this, this milestone, Lord, but there's also, there's worry and there's doubt and there's a lack of peace. Lord, we pray that you were, your presence would intervene and peace would come into the hearts of mamas in this room, of dads in this room, who for a long time, have given their kids over to you, God, but it seems a little harder now. seems a little bit more difficult. And God, we just pray that you would help us to let go of these good gifts that we've been given, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would honor you, Lord, in all that we do, God. Lord, I pray that you would go with these kids, Lord, our kids, 
And let your spirit, Lord, be evident in their life, God. And we will give you all the praise and the glory for what you do through them. Because we know that you have done great things in them and are going to do great things through them. God, I pray for the people around this room. God, you know about the prayers of every heart in this room. You know about the brokenness that is personal and is real and it is painful. Know that there is weeping happening in this room. God, I pray that you would heal, that you would restore. We know that you do that when we turn our lives to you, when we turn our hearts to you and our turn our eyes to you, God. I pray that we begin with this decision today to say, I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. Help me with the next decision and the next decision and the next thing, Lord. God, may we be a people that are focused on the mission that you've given us to restore the broken in this world. Lord, help us not to, to fall into the shadow missions that are full of just selfishness. Me, me, me is God. Lord, you are our God. You are our true uppercase king. We cannot wait till we can celebrate all together again. Lord, we lift up these prayers in your name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. It has been a great day. We're gonna sing a song. And uh, I think this is a great song for this series. It's called Beautiful Things. If you would stand to your feet, think about these words and just sing this promise that God has given us.